Well, if you'd uh, take your Bibles and turn to the book of Zechariah, we're going back to Zechariah just like this morning, how we were, uh, came back to Titus after a month of being out of Titus. We've been out of Zechariah for quite a while, and we're coming back to uh, Zechariah. So again, just to reorient us, Zechariah is the uh, second to last book in the Old Testament, if you're looking for it. And uh, you have Malachi, which is the last book, and uh, Zechariah, which comes right before that. And perhaps the easiest way to find Zechariah is to go to Matthew and then just go back about 10 pages or so. But we'll be in Zechariah uh, chapter 8, and we're going to be in the last portion of uh, this chapter, verses 18 through 23 uh, this evening. And as Pastor Matt already has mentioned, and as everybody is aware, obviously, uh, tonight, uh, I'm aware as well, is uh, New Year's Eve as we get ready to go into a new calendar year, 2024. Um, and uh, so let us come to God's word and see what he has to say to us tonight and, uh, and ask him to bless this time in his word. But let us uh, again read uh, Zechariah uh, chapter 8 and verses 20, I'm sorry, verses 18 through the end of the chapter, which is uh, verse 23. So hear now God's word. We read, And the word of the Lord of hosts came to me, saying, Thus says the Lord of hosts, The fast of the fourth month, and the fast of the fifth, and the fast of the seventh, and the fast of the tenth, shall be to the house of Judah seasons of joy and gladness and cheerful feasts. Therefore, love truth and peace. Thus says the Lord of hosts, People shall yet come, even the inhabitants of many cities. The inhabitants of one city shall go to another, saying, Let us go at once to entreat the favor of the Lord and to seek the Lord of hosts. I myself am going. Many peoples and strong nations shall come to seek the Lord of hosts in Jerusalem and to entreat the favor of the Lord. Thus says the Lord of hosts, In those days ten men from the nations of every tongue shall take hold of the robe of a Jew, saying, Let us go with you, for we have heard that God is with you. Thus far, the word of the Lord. Let us uh, go to him once more in prayer. Father, we uh, do ask that you'd bless this time in your word. Uh, Father, help us to pay attention. Um, Lord, would you help us as the, the Thessalonians are commended for doing. They heard Paul preach, and Paul said that he, they did not receive the word which they heard from him, from a man, but they didn't receive it as from a man, but as from God. Lord, may that which is from your word uh, be received by us as the word of God, as what we have just read as the word of God. Uh, Lord, would it do its work in those of us who believe? And as Pastor Matt prayed, and as we all pray, Lord, uh, it's not because of our own righteousness, certainly not my own. It's because of your grace. Uh, please bless this time, Lord. We need you. We ask this in Christ's name. Amen. Well, again, as I was uh, mentioning, uh, I, I'm very much aware that we're about to turn over to 2024 and uh, uh, starting tomorrow, as Pastor Matt said. And, uh, you know, I'm not a, a prophet and I'm not uh, some uh, person who has great insight into things. But if you talk to, to pretty much anybody, and I realize this happens most years, but I think this year this is, I think this is fitting. 
Uh, if you talk to pretty much anybody, whether they're on the right or the left, or if they're old or young, or they tend to be pessimistic or optimistic or whatever it is, I think uh, pretty much everybody agrees that they think 2024 is probably going to be pretty wild uh, in our country and, and world. Maybe it won't be. Uh, I, I don't have uh, any insight really into that, but there's a good chance uh, that there's going to be uh, some, some wildness going on in 2024. And uh, I don't really need to uh, mention the fact that we have an election year that is coming up, uh, which has already started off uh, somewhat wild. Uh, we have a, a horrendous economy uh, that's going on, which uh, obviously gets the ire up and the, uh, the frustration and, and stress up of, of all of us uh, here in, in our own country. Uh, we have an unparalleled uh, border crisis going on, which is just unreal and, and not really covered. And if you do look into it, you will be shocked at how bad it, it really is. Uh, but we have all these things going on. And uh, I originally had where I was going to transition here from however, uh, and I crossed that out. And I said, and I'm telling you, I think actually because of these things we have in our our country going on, because of the, the state we're in as a country, uh, I think we as Christians uh, are going to have tremendous opportunity to be a witness to those around us, to be a witness to our country, uh, which is struggling and which has uh, in many ways turned away from the Lord. Uh, I think we very well will have a, a good opportunity because of these things, again, uh, because there is uh, unrest and a lot of things, uh, wars kind of just under the surface potentially, and in no way am I hoping uh, for these things, but I think they will give us uh, an opportunity as the church, as God's people, uh, really to, to shine in the sense that we by the grace of God, will not be like the world. Uh, that we will not be terrified and overwhelmed uh, because our hope ultimately is not in this world. Uh, and because our hope is in God and God's world and God's purposes will absolutely uh, come to pass. And, and we can not just be overwhelmed, but we can be confident knowing that all that God has, has purposed to do will come to pass. That will happen, and it may not be things that we necessarily uh, would choose on our own or want, but uh, God's will will come to pass, and therefore we can pass our days with confidence and even joy, knowing that God's will will be done. So again, my hope is for us as a church, as Christians, um, that we look different from the rest of the world. And again, we live in a time, uh, potentially, where we might not see the, the silver lining here, that people might start to look for something stable, uh, might start to have their hearts turned away from these transient things of the world, our, our comforts and, and real blessings, but which uh, there's a good possibility maybe going away uh, quicker and quicker and will, uh, which will ultimately fade with time anyway. So again, uh, I think we have a, a potentially a big opportunity before us in uh, 2024. Uh, for, as a witness to those around us. Now, getting back to Zechariah, um, here in Zechariah, I, I really don't think it's that much of a stretch to say that they were in a, a somewhat 
uh, not exactly the same, but a somewhat similar situation to the way things are here in the United States uh, on the eve of of 2024. Uh, And in in the way that there are similarities, uh, there's uh, political unrest, and of course, uh, Jerusalem and the Jews were under the, the thumb of the Persians at this time. They, were, they did not have their own kingdom. They were being ruled by others. Um, but there is also a, a low spiritual ebb uh, amongst the people, a low spiritual state. And uh, we're going to look at that in a second. But of course, uh, the people had come back into in, the land that God had brought them back into. And, and the sins that had caused God to judge them and send them out of the land, they they dove headfirst right back into them again. And that's what's going on here in, in Zechariah uh, this evening in, in chapters 7 and 8 and really the whole book, uh, what we're looking at. So the spiritual state of the people was low. Uh, but then also the people were uh, something that we are prone to, and again, something that I think as Christians in our lives, something that we need to fight against more than anything in the world, something that is, I would say, sub-Christian, but something we all, I certainly do, uh, fight with, which is discouragement. And dis- discouragement, uh, we're, we're discouraged, we're looking around, and I don't mean, of course, looking at our country and looking at what's going on and being discouraged by that. I mean, when we're discouraged with what God is doing or seeming to not be doing, uh, when things are not going our way, that is something that is sub-Christian. Uh, we need to turn to the Lord uh, we need to look at ourselves first and what we are doing in our own lives, but then pray and realize that God will bring about uh, his purposes, even if that is judgment, and be content with that, knowing that God does all things good and God is a merciful and good God. It is, it is sub-Christian, no matter what your view of what is coming in the future, to be pessimistic in the long run. Um, if we're pessimistic in terms of our country, if we're pessimistic in terms of the next 10 years in our country, if we're pessimi- pessimistic excuse me, in terms of the next year in our country, it is not okay to be pessimistic about what God is going to do. Uh, and we're going to see tonight uh, why we shouldn't be pessimistic, why we can't be, why when those feelings and thoughts come up, we need to go to the Lord and repent and be reoriented to wanting God's will to be done no matter what that is. So again, Uh, Getting back to Zechariah, who I was saying I think we have a lot in common with in terms of discouragement and a low spiritual state overall, Uh, just to reorient us, as I said, it's been, and I'll try to do this as fast as possible, but uh, as it's been a month since we've been here, but the people have come back to Jerusalem. They began work on the temple as God had told them to do. They face some persecution, some difficulties in doing so, and they give up uh, after they face some persecutions, though the Lord had sent them and said, to build the temple, and they had all these promises, and they faced some real, I don't want to downplay the, the uh, hurdles that they faced. They were being threatened. Their lives were being threatened, but again, the point is not that they weren't facing difficulties. It's that God had promised he would be with them, and they had turned away, and then they had become uh, taken away. They had become obsessed and, and really focused on the things of the world. They were building their own homes and working hard on them and, and farming and and doing business and making a lot of money when God had called them to work on the temple. They were about their own business. And by this time, when Zechariah and uh, Haggai are stirred up by God to get back to the people to tell them, you need to get back to work to what I called you to, it had been 18 years that they had been doing this now. 
and they come back and tell them, you need to get back to work on what I called you to do. Uh, because they, this particular situation was one in which they were to actually build, rebuild the temple in Jerusalem. And they had, again, faced persecution, then given in to discouragement and fear, then started to do things kind of on their own, and then become comfortable with it. Again, as we read Zechariah, and as we get to the last uh, six or seven chapters of the book, um, and we get to really about uh, so much of Zechariah's quote in the New Testament comes from the latter half of Zechariah, so much of it has to do with the coming of Christ himself. Uh, but um, the, the problem was that people had, had turned away from God and were just uh, not seeing things in light of God's promises, and they were following after their own desires. They become way too comfortable uh, where they were. So again, back in our passage for this evening, uh, at the end of chapter 8, it comes in a bigger passage. And, and the whole section of chapter 7 through chapter 8 are really one big section. And if you have your Bible, you see in the verse in the beginning of chapter 7 uh, that people come from Bethel. They come from Bethel, which is about 12 miles away from Jerusalem. So it's like going from here to Lakeview or so. Of course, back then you had to walk. But they come to Jerusalem, and they seek, uh, they seek the, the Lord. They're going to the priests and everything to find out, should we continue to, to hold these fasts that we have been holding? Should we even continue to do this? And Pastor Matt dealt with this back several sermons ago. But uh, they want to know, should we continue to do these these fasts which we have been doing. They're, again, they're, they're kind of acting that they're discouraged, and they are discouraged, uh, but thinking uh, perhaps that the, this fasting, perhaps it's not worth it anymore. Uh, should we even keep doing this? You know, the, we're doing this for the Lord, but he doesn't seem uh, to be listening to us, and, and so should we continue to do this? Uh, is it really worth it? And then all of chapter 7 is taken up with uh, God speaking through Zechariah and letting him know uh, he doesn't even really speak to whether or not they should continue to fast until chapter 8. In chapter 7, he first deals with their problem, which was their attitude. And by their attitude, I really mean their whole focus and goal in life. You know, uh, in teaching, and I know we have many teachers here beside myself, but parents here, grandparents, and, you know, that's probably the number one issue we run into is not kids that do particular things, the, those particular things and, and issues in the classroom that come out really come out because of their attitude. It's kind of our, our sinful nature. You know, we sin because we're sinners. You know, being sinners is what comes first, what produces the sin. Just like a bad attitude is what leads to usually bad behavior in the classroom. And sometimes, you know, kids and so forth, uh, remember hearing Dr. Brown talk about uh, being in school and one of the teachers that might paddle them or something coming in late because they weren't ready class, and, and uh, their attitude wasn't right, you know, even if they hadn't necessarily done something wrong. I think you said they were late, but, uh, but they weren't ready. Well, here he's talking to them, and God doesn't say, oh, your problem is that you're not fasting. He's like, he wants them to know the, the problem right off the bat is your, your attitude. Uh, your whole way you're going about these things is wrong, and again, uh, he talks about what they were doing. Their fasts, they were fake. Their, their fasts were for them, as you remember, uh, that God says in verses 5 and 6 of chapter 7. You know, Eric Alexander, uh, who was kind of the, one of the mentors of, of Sinclair Ferguson, if you ever listen to Eric Alexander online, you didn't, if you ever listen to Sinclair Ferguson, you'll swear it's the same person. Uh, they sound the exact same. 
but uh, anyway, Eric Alexander, in, in speaking about these verses, talked about in his Bible, in chapter 7 of Zechariah, that he had underlined uh, verses 5 and 6 of chapter 7. In uh, chapter 7, where it says, Say to all the people of the land and the priests, when you fasted and mourned in the fifth month and in the seventh, for these 70 years, was it, and then what he had underlined was, for me, that you fasted. And then in verse 6, he had underlined, well, it says, and when you eat and when you drink, do you not eat for yourselves and drink for yourselves? He had underlined the part for yourselves, or the for me and for yourselves. And his point, of course, is, and what God's point through Zechariah to the people was, you know, you're doing these things, you're fasting. Apparently, these are uh, potentially extra fasts that they had put in place. God really, in the Bible, only calls on his people to fast and one day a year, and they have all these fasts going on. And he's letting them know, you're doing all these fasts, and, and this, you're doing that for yourselves. Uh, you're not doing that to worship me. Uh, you're full of hypocrisy, but you're thinking that this kind of tit-for-tat sort of religion where you do this, and then God is obligated to bless. Uh, that is what the people had, had fallen into. So God doesn't just say, no, you know, you're fast or whatever. He, he gets to the heart of the issue, which again, was their attitude. Uh, they wanted, of course, to be out of their circumstances. They had difficult circumstances, and they wanted to be out. Uh, they wanted the glory that had been promised, that was going to come when the Messiah came, all these things about... They wanted the royal King David to come that had been promised. They wanted the enemies of God's people to be judged. They wanted these promises to come true, uh, but they didn't want the God of the promises. They didn't want him to do it in his way. Uh, they were focused on other things and, and really wanted to know why God was not doing what he said he would uh, in the way that he expected him to. So again, the people had this, this attitude, and God tells them, uh, again, back in chapter 7, uh, that their problem, they're coming and they're worshiping and fasting all these times. Again, the Pharisees, when God had told them you need to fast the Jews one time a year, one time a year that you are to fast, and the Pharisees decided and over time in Jesus' day, again, if you don't know, the Pharisees fasted two times a week, every week, to show how, and, but they had this idea, not that they're doing this because they're becoming close to God, but to show other people how holy they were, and that was the problem, is that they were not doing it for God, they were doing it for themselves. As Pastor Matt has been going through on Wednesdays in the, the Sermon on the Mount, they had, they had changed worship of God into something that was really worship of self and a way to put God in your debt. And again, that's a, that's a danger for all of us. That's a danger for all of us. Um, John Calvin said that our, our hearts are idle factories, not idle as in not that we tend to be lazy, but we tend to turn anything into an idol, and that most certainly includes ourselves. Uh, and we can take church, we can take prayer, we can take Bible reading. All of us can. We have ways of inventing things where, you know, God isn't in my debt now because I did this. Again, I'm speaking from the fact that I live in this sinful human myself, and I'm aware of uh, these things because I do them too. Uh, but God gets them and tells them they need to start, they need to look at their own lives. They've been oppressing the weakest people and the most vulnerable and lying and they had courts that were fixed and and all these things and they weren't bringing justice to people uh, and uh, all these things and he's saying you're doing all these things yet you come to me and uh, the problem is they need to repent before they come to him and asking about fasts and all these things so chapter seven is a big 
rebuke to these people who come and say, you know, basically, what are we doing wrong? Why aren't you blessing us? And God basically letting them know, all these things that I've clearly told you to do, you're not doing. And instead, you're going to these little things that I didn't make a, tell you to do, and y'all are wondering why I'm not blessing you for that. You need to first repent of your own sins. Now, as we come to chapter 8, uh, there's a great turn uh, in chapter 8, and, and Pastor Matt brought this up even in his prayer, because it's going to look ahead, uh, but it's going to look ahead, really, to, as, as Pastor Matt said, to the inbreaking of the new covenant. Again, uh, at, at the Christian school, uh, you know, there are kids who come from different backgrounds, and, and uh, there are kids who come who know the Bible pretty well and have grown up in church, and there are kids who don't know, and I sometimes have to teach that, you know, our Bible has two testaments, uh, the Old Testament and the New Testament, or Old Covenant and New Covenant, and, and uh, a lot of, there, we get students, believe it or not, who are not aware of that now, that are high school age and, and do not know that. And uh, as we look at this inbreaking of the New Covenant, uh, that's what we're going to see this evening, is this time of blessing, uh, this time that we live in now, where the blessing of the Lord has come upon, and in particular, as we're going to see tonight, uh, most of us here this night, uh, the Gentiles. Uh, this strange thing where people, if you're not Jewish, you're a Gentile. Uh, this uh, God has turned these people that were not his people to himself, and that is what we see tonight. So again, uh, God has castigated his people, and he has answered them uh, correctly when they come and ask about uh, if they should keep fasting, and he tells them to repent of their sin first and foremost, but then he turns to, in chapter 8, to this coming blessing and grace that is coming, uh, and not just that he will be faithful in keeping all of his promises. He's not just still going to do what he had told them, but he gets more explicit, more vivid about it, and the part that he focuses on this evening is, again, that these these nations, these peoples, the goyim uh, in Hebrew, these na- the, the people. If you're not a Jew, you're a Gentile. Again, you're away from God. And I actually said that this morning. It's probably because I had this on my mind. But in the Bible, it's, it's talking about, you know, we can think of believer and unbeliever uh, now, uh, the real uh, distinction between people. So again, this time when all these people will be flowing to Jerusalem uh, because they want to know about God. So just as certainly as God had brought judgment on his people, so he will absolutely bring the blessings on his people, and we're going to see that this is fulfilled in Christ. So first, in our, uh, in chapter 8, we see in verses, starting in verse 18, we see really a a reversal of fortune. Uh, There's been difficult, you know, God has been uh, very harsh with his people. He's actually just dealt with them as a, as a parent should, a good, loving parent should, when you have a child who is disobedient. Uh, the Bible, I don't have to, I think, speak too much to the people here tonight, but we've got kids and, and so forth, but the Bible does not teach the way that you love your kids. It's just to let them learn for themselves and just accept what they do. No, you're the parent. You are to you not spare the rod. You are to discipline your child. In fact, the Bible is much stronger than that. It says that if we do not discipline our child, we are not loving our our children. We are not acting as real parents, legitimate parents uh, to our children if we don't. And of course, that is a a sign of great judgment on our country that we've turned away from that. 
Uh, we know better than God, so we've turned away from that, uh, from disciplining children. Instead, we make excuses for everything somebody does. But again, God disciplines his people, and he's done so in chapter 7. But here he turns from that again, and in starting in verse 18, is, looks at this time of, of, and he gets back to the question about feasting and fasting here. In verse 18, he says, And the word of the Lord of hosts came to me, saying, Thus says the Lord of hosts, The fast of the fourth month, and the fast of the fifth month, and the fast of the seventh month, and the fast of the tenth month, shall be to the house of Judah seasons of joy and gladness and cheerful feasts. Therefore, love, truth, and peace. This is going all the way back to chapter 7, that question about should we keep fasting? He doesn't really answer that until we get all the way here to verse 18. And his answer is really, look, those fasts are going to not just go away, yeah, don't fast anymore. They're going to be transformed into feasts, into times of joy, into times of rejoicing over the Lord. And in light of that, we're about to see why that is. In light of that, the people were to love truth and peace. The people were to live the way that God has called his people to live. And again, I want to stress as much as I can that when the people came back to Jerusalem, they were living just as wickedly as they had uh, when God had sent them out of the land. And that is why he's telling them these things, love, truth, and peace. Uh, they They were exploiting Uh, the poor, they're exploiting the widow and the orphan, and uh, God was not okay with that at all, and is telling them uh, to repent of these things. But again, God is going, there's going to be this great reversal. And again, we know this as Christians, this is the promise. We have joy right now in our lives. Uh, We have tokens of God's grace, as the Puritans would say. Uh, We have uh, God's presence, we have the church and joys now, but we have eternal life which waits for us. This is the veil of tears that we walk in now. Uh, But for the Christian, again, our true joy, that which comes in its fullness, uh, is after we die or when Christ returns. It is still to come, that which we are looking for. Again, we do enjoy benefits of it now, but it is really a a religion uh, promise that comes in the future that we experience now. So we see this reversal of fortune uh, from fasting to feasting. But in verses 20 through 23, uh, we see what happens. And again, this is where we get the Gentiles all of a sudden are included. And again, the people here, they would have thought this is crazy. They're living amongst all these people. You know, the Jews want to be pure. Our problem was going back to Solomon, that he was marrying all these foreign wives and bringing in all these influences. And again, in the Bible, the Bible will use the nations or the Gentiles uh, in a negative connotation quite often. And it has nothing to do with ethnicity. It has to do with those are the people who didn't know the Lord. Those are the, the pagans. You know, my ancestors worshiping Thor and Odin and whatever. And if you, I think everybody in here, if we were to go a thousand years, two thousand years ago, our background is probably somewhere in Europe for all of us and worshiping some tree deity or whatever else. And, and not the God, not the true living God. And here we are in Dillon, South Carolina again tonight on New Year's Eve, uh, worshiping the God in human flesh who said that salvation comes from the Jews. Again, it's, it's strange. We don't think about it sometimes, but that we're, we're here uh, worshiping. And, you know, we, we have the Old Testament reading about Father Abraham and so forth and saying, he's our example. You know, we're not, we, we are doing what we're about to read. So God continues in in verse 20. 
about what is going to happen. He says, thus says the Lord of hosts, people shall yet come even in the inhabitants of many, uh, even the inhabitants of many cities, the inhabitants of one city shall go to another saying, let us go once at once to entreat the favor of the Lord and to seek the Lord of hosts. I myself am going many peoples and strong nations. Again, that's nations is the term for Gentiles shall come to seek the Lord of hosts in Jerusalem and to entreat the favor of the Lord. And then here, thus says the Lord of hosts, in those days, ten men from the nation, so ten Gentiles, of every tongue shall take hold of the robe of a Jew, saying, let us go with you, for we have heard that God is with you. Again, this is, we have to remember uh, the context that this is set in. Jerusalem was a laughing stock at this point. Uh, Jerusalem was barely even a city, if it even could be considered a city, at when Zechariah told this. Uh, it's about 550 or, uh, years before the coming of the birth of Christ. Uh, Jerusalem was mainly torn down in, in rubble, and they're ruled over by the Persians. And then, of course, when Christ was born, they're ruled over by the Romans. They'd be ruled by the Greeks before that. But God is foretelling a time uh, when Jerusalem would be the greatest of all the cities in the world. Uh, when the, the king would be the greatest king in the world, when people from all these nations that mock them and make fun of them would actually come to Jerusalem uh, to seek out the Lord. Uh, it's, a, it's a slight, this would be a shocking statement. You know, y'all aren't just going to finish the temple that you're looking at finishing right now. In fact, the whole world's going to start coming to you at some point and want to be with you because God is with you. I mean, if that doesn't sound fantastic in the sense of out there, you you know, you got uh, somebody talking about something that they don't understand, then the, we, we're not understanding the, the context. This would be considered just way out there. All these people are going to come uh, to the land. But again, this is written 2,500 years ago. Uh, that was thousands of miles away, and we're sitting here tonight reading this. Uh, this has come true, and in fact, this has come true starting uh, with the birth of Christ. And with Jesus Christ. And that is what the rest of the book of Zechariah and this portion of scripture is looking at is Christ coming, giving himself on the cross, and then in the day of Pentecost, uh, that the new covenant that was promised, one of the promises right here of the Gentiles coming, has come to pass. You may know that back in Genesis, God promised to Abraham uh, that he would bless him and give him offspring as numerous as the sands of the seashore and the stars in the sky. And, uh, but God also tells him, and in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. And you could read that particular verse and think, oh, that's just talking about his particular line will be blessed and so forth. But as you continue on in Genesis and you get to Genesis 12, 18, God kind of makes more clear. He says, and in your offspring shall all the nations of the earth be blessed. The, the promise to Abraham that he would be blessed, uh, God God uh, sort of expands to include peoples from every tribe, tongue, and nation, people of all backgrounds, not just who would become the Jews or the people of the tribe of Judah or the people in the southern kingdom. He tells them all the nations will be blessed. Again, all the Gentiles are going to be blessed. This is way back in the beginning of Genesis, in Genesis 12, that we read this. And it continues on throughout Genesis, in you all, in your, I'm sorry, in your offspring, so in your seed is the literal word, but all the nations of the world will be blessed. 
Well, as we come to uh, the New Testament, and we see that by and large, a lot of the Jews are rejecting Christ, but we have Jews who are accepting him. But we see the Gentiles, uh, again, which is probably almost all of us. I keep saying all, almost because my wife's here, but uh, I was wondering if I should say that or not. But, <laughs> but almost all of us, if not all of us, uh, are Gentiles. And again, this, this strange thing where we're uh, worshiping uh, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. And Paul looks at this promise in Galatians when they're dealing with this Jew-Gentile uh, problem, and, uh, and, or seeming problem. And in Galatians 3.16, Paul talks about this verse back in, in uh, Genesis 12, and he says, Now the promises were made to Abraham and to his offspring. Again, the word is seed. And he says, It does not say into offsprings, which is actually one of the, the reasons in the Bible we believe in actually word for word that God inspired it. Uh, not just the thoughts behind it, because Paul makes his whole argument based off if a word is singular or plural, or in Hebrew, it can mean two also, but in uh, Genesis, way back in Genesis 12, and he says it doesn't say to offsprings, referring to many, but referring to one, and to your offspring, who is Christ. Paul is looking back at this promise in Genesis and saying, that promise made to Abraham that all the nations would be blessed in his offspring is not a promise that people would just sort of receive a blessing from the Jewish people at large. It's saying that we would be blessed in the one true living God, the Savior, who will come through the Jews, that is Jesus Christ. That's what Paul says right here. It's referring to the one offspring, not to many, but to one and to your offspring, who is Christ. And the point here is, we are blessed if we are believers in the Lord Jesus Christ. That's why I had on my mind this morning the fact, again, that the Bible does not deny the fact that there's differences between different nations and so forth. The Bible talks about the different tribes and tongues and nations will come and worship the Lord. Uh, the, obviously, the difference between male and female is God has made us. But the one true and abiding difference, the greatest difference in the world, is whether you are in the Son or not, whether you have been united to Christ by faith, the offspring, or not. That's why I can be closer with somebody in Costa Rica or Africa or North Korea or somewhere else who is a Christian than I can to people in my own biological family who are not Christians. Because we have something in common uh, that's thicker than blood, which is the Spirit of God. So again, there's this promise of all these people coming in of these Gentiles who are coming in, and, and we read about this again, even in Romans 9, where Paul talks about that the Gentiles are coming in, and it seems that in Romans 9 through 11, it seems that that will be sort of the program, and I debated, but I do actually go along, I think Pastor Matt does as well, that he seems to be indicating that after God has brought in all these Gentiles into the fold, that he will then go back again to saving uh, a ethnic uh, Israel people, uh, Jews for himself, but again, uh, at the very least, we see this promise of what is going on uh, and has been going on for the last couple thousand years in verses 20 through 23, that people of all nations will come flowing to the Lord. And this whole thing of going up to a Jewish man and grabbing him by the robe and saying, take us with you, it's, not, it's because we're realizing that I want to learn this book this, the Torah, we want to learn the Tanakh, we want to learn about the God of Abraham, why? Because we've realized this really is God. Uh, there's one God. 
It is the God of the Bible, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. The triune God who we worship is the God. That's why we, uh, you see these people flowing to Jerusalem again and going to the Jews and saying, take us with you, is because we want to know God for ourselves. So we see the absolute certainty that the nations will come, and we've seen this played out in our world the last few thousand years. People would look at this verse, men such as William Carey. Uh, you know, William Carey, you probably know. I hope you do. If you do not know William Carey, you should. But William Carey was a Baptist uh, Englishman back in the 1700s, kind of early 1700s. And he wanted to be a missionary to India because he's, there's no missionaries at all in India at the time. And India's always had a huge population, not like it is today, but still a humongous populations with no missionaries there. There were some Roman Catholic sort of works there, but nothing really going on. And, and William Carey read passages like this and said, I think that the Lord wants to save Indian people as well, because it, it talks about tribes and tongues and nations. I think he wants to save people from, from all people. So nobody's going to India, I'll go to India. And if you don't know about William Carey, he's actually told uh, by the, the Baptist Mission Board of all things, no. Uh, if the Lord wants to save them, they weren't just saying, we think you're the wrong person. They were saying, you know, the Lord will save them on his own. He doesn't need your help. And William Carey went. And William Carey uh, did not, in his lifetime, have that much success, seemingly. Uh, but uh, the movement was from God, and the Christian movement and missionaries in India later on were to multiply, and people were to come to the Lord to this day, and he, were, he was to uh, inspire many people to start going on missions. You know, Jonathan Edwards and, and other people were very much uh, inspired by passages such as these, as these talking about that the Gentiles, all these nations, would be flowing in uh, to the Lord. And again, they looked at the book of Acts and, and them quoting these passages, Peter in, in Pentecost, quoting in Acts 2, uh, quoting Joel and saying, in the last days he pour out a spirit on all flesh and continuing to talk about uh, all people, including all the nations, coming to him. And we still have these certainties today. So we still have these certainties that God will uh, save his people, and he has a people from every tribe and tongue and nation. So with all that said is, what do we as a church, going into 2024, what do we here at First Presbyterian Church in Dillon, South Carolina, uh, what do we do in light of these things that God will absolutely continue to save a people for himself, uh, how, what should we do? Just realize that the Bible says this and say amen and let's go watch the ball drop like Matt said or, or what, is there something that we should take away from this? Uh, you know, really, what is the point of everything we've looked at tonight? Well, I think there are just a few things that I have just in closing for us uh, that we should do in light of these things. Again, uh, as we're Gentiles here that God has saved, uh, God is continuing to save people. And if we look around at our own country and start to say, as Pastor Matt rightly said, we're in a, a post-Christian time, God is still saving people. And God could bring revival anytime he wants. Uh, but if you were to go to parts of South America and parts of the Middle East, and certainly uh, Africa, sub-Saharan Africa, you wouldn't believe uh, the work of the Spirit there. Uh, unfortunately, it does seem that our country and the West in general is having God's judgment brought upon it right now and a, a great hardening uh, due to our sin and turning away 
from how God has blessed us so tremendously over the past many centuries. But if you go to these other places, you think Christianity is just out, that God's about to come back because nobody's Christian. You are not aware of what God is doing in other parts of the world. Uh, God is moving greatly in other countries, and we need to continue to pray for that. Uh, We need to continue to pray and financially, tangibly support people like Aaron Halbert, one of our missionaries there in Honduras, uh, where they still have Roman Catholicism and they have a whole lot of kind of crazy charismatic stuff. We need to pray and help him, not to say be blessed and be warm and go, but help him as we're doing, but continue to do so as he works in Honduras to bring the gospel and and a strong and vibrant church there in Tegucigalpa. And again, this morning when I brought up the fact that it is a sign of God's blessing, and it is for a church to meet their budget, uh, it is a sign of blessing. Uh, There's probably something that's, probably nothing else in the church's life that causes more concern than the giving of its members. Uh, to uh, the work of the gospel ministry. So we need to continue to pray uh, and support missionaries who are going overseas. But again, I think uh, we need to continue us here to not think that we have no impact on those around us and also just not care. We need to not not care, double negative there, but um, about our own country and who we live around to say, well, it's cursed and forget about it. Um, You know, uh, there is great judgment that has come upon our own country. And if not for the grace of God, that would be all of us doing all this ridiculous stuff as well. I get poked at all the time because I was born and raised in Southern California. Look, I did not choose that. Uh, (laughs) uh, The Lord rescued me, though. And again, if you're a believer, you know, you can praise God if you were raised in a a Christian home where you heard the gospel all the time. But again, your parents being faithful, taking you to church, teaching you the Bible. You know, if that is the way that our kids are brought to faith, are nurtured, and, and they don't remember a day when they, uh, when, when they came to faith. Praise God. I hope that's, that's the truth for all of them. Uh, but, you know, there are others, like myself, who are very much hardened. It wasn't until I turned 25 years old that the Lord opened my eyes to himself. And it was through the witness of my, one of my brother-in-laws, who's a Christian, and he, I knew the gospel before him, but we were, we were roommates for years, and he wasn't just beating me over the head. His life was just a consistent life, not a perfect life, but a consistent life of somebody who I could tell believed what he said he believed. And over time, God drew me through that to, you know, I want what he has. And again, as we go into 2024, in a world that is as uncertain as anything in terms of what's going to happen in our own country and geopolitics and everything else, it is certain that God is going to save his people. Uh, God will absolutely save his people, and we are to be faithful with our children. We are to be faithful uh, with our families. We are to seek to be holy, first with ourselves, with our families, and then with our church, moving out. And again, the last thing, the ABCs of the Christian life, it's kind of like getting in shape. You know, I was talking to Daniel McLaurin tomorrow. is the day, January 1st hitting the gym, um, back on that train of being healthy and all that. I'm serious. But, but with the Christian life, just like getting healthy, it's, it's your diet and exercise. Super, super, super uh, not complicated, but really hard to do. The Christian life is not complicated, but it's really hard. And what we do is we read the Bible. You, 
put time away to read the Bible and to pray, and by the grace of God, you seek to be faithful to what God has shown you in the Bible. Uh, Your Bible intake and prayer is like your diet and exercise. You seek to be faithful, and you keep at it, and you keep at it, and you keep at it, and we seek to be faithful, and we can make a huge impact and be, have the opportunity to be witnesses to people here in Dillon and in the surrounding areas, and, and we have no idea how far abroad that influence could be. But again, we trust in the Lord, and we seek to be faithful by his grace because God will save his people. So let us go to him and ask him to uh, grant us the grace to do this, uh, this upcoming year. Let's pray. <clears throat> Our Father, uh, what a, a testament to the reality of your word that all these years ago, uh, all these thousands of years ago, talking about uh, the fact that all these Gentiles would come and, and want to, to know the God of Abraham, to know the God of the Jews, Lord. And here we are today as Gentiles who know that you alone are God. You are God. This is your word. And as you continue to be true and, and faithful and bring about that which you have said will happen, uh, Lord, you will continue to save your people. Your word says that you know those who are your own. Um, Lord, would we be like Paul, who, when he was in Corinth, was scared, and you told him to not be afraid because no one would touch him because you had many people there in that city, Lord. And uh, we believe you probably have people here in Dillon County and surrounding counties and further, Lord. And, and beyond that, we're called to be faithful uh, in whatever uh, area you've put us. So, Father, would you give us grace first and foremost to uh, repent of our sin and turn to you, uh, to daily be, be focused on, uh, Lord, seeking you, seeking that which is life indeed, repenting of our waywardness, being recalibrated to you. Lord, would we be good grandparents and parents and children and our families and students and teachers and employees and employers? Uh, Lord, would we stick out from the rest of the world, not that we have halos above us, Lord, but that there's a stability and there's a joy in knowing the one who is in control. And we don't need to fear the, the raging of the waves in our world because you are in control, Lord. You're in control of the waves. Lord, if they're raging, it is by your hand and they can stop in an instant by your hand. So Lord, help us to be those who stick out. Uh, Father, again, we know we can do nothing apart from you. Lord, uh, I just pray that you would be with us, and we know that uh, that is your desire for us. So, Lord, please help us, we pray, for we ask all these things in Christ's name. Amen.